We'll open up to John uh, chapter 6 together this morning. John chapter 6. The scripture verses noted in the bulletin and on the screen are verses 22 through 51. Uh, For the sake of time and after uh, having put the sermon together, I I really think we can stop at verse 35. So we'll read verses 22 through 35 together. Um, I'll have one reference from a verse after that. Uh, If you keep your Bibles open, you you can note that when it comes. But we'll read verses 22 through 35, and that'll really let us emphasize uh, the proper part of the portion, also, uh, sorry, the proper part of the scripture passage, also. So, John chapter six, beginning at verse twenty-two. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, this morning we are, we are beginning a new sermon series that will take us through Easter, Lord willing. See, I'll practice what I preach. Uh, and in this sermon series, we are going to look together at the seven I am statements of Jesus that are found in the gospel of John, okay? Seven times in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I am something. Here in our text, it's I am the bread of life. In John 8, it's I am the light of the world. In John 10, there's two of them. It's I am the door and also I am the good shepherd. In John 11, it's I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, it's I am the way and the truth and the life. And then in John 15, it's I am 
the true vine. So seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes an I am statement, and we're going to look at each of these statements together uh, in the weeks leading up to and, and ending on Easter. Uh, now, what we must understand about these sayings is that, is that in them, Jesus is simply telling us who he is. We might say that these I am statements are the handmaiden of Matthew 16, verse 15. What happens in Matthew 16, verse 15? Well, Jesus asks his disciples a question. He says to his disciples, who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, in these I am statements, Jesus isn't asking, who do you say I am? Uh, Instead, he's saying, and this is who I say I am. Now, before we dig into this first I am found in John 6, I want you to know that each and every one of these I am statements begins with what is really a, a subtle declaration of Christ's divinity. Okay, the two Greek words translated I am at the beginning of each of these statements are ego, a me. There's two Greek words there. One is ego, that's where we get our word ego from, actually, I, and a me, all right? Ego, a me, I am. And this is a bit of a unique construction uh, in the Greek language because in other places of Scripture where we see the, the words I am, usually only one of those two Greek words is present. And so, for instance, in John chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus says, I am going away. Behind that is the single Greek word ego, okay? Ego there is translated I am. In John 13, 13, Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Behind that I am, is the single Greek word, me. So the word ego can be translated I am, and the word me can be translated I am. But in these I am statements, the words ego and me are, are put together. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying I am twice. It's almost as if Jesus is saying I am, I am. And in this, we hear an echo of what God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. If you want, you could turn there, but, but in Exodus 3, Moses, he's tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He sees a bush that is on fire. And lo and behold, that bush, it, 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 it keeps burning. It's not consumed. And, and Moses is curious. He goes over to the bush, and from the bush, God calls to him. And God says, take off your sandals, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then God proceeds to, to commission Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. And then listen to what we read, Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God... If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. There God says, I am 
twice. And when the Septuagint, okay, the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament that the people of Jesus' day would have been familiar with, all right? When the Septuagint translated the Hebrew of Exodus 3.13, it did so using the words ego, ami. And so when Jesus begins these I am sayings with the words ego, ami, he is subtly declaring the truth of his identity. The people of Jesus' day would have heard him say, Ego, Amy, and they would have thought, that, that, that sounds familiar. Where, where, where have I heard that before? Oh, I, I know where I heard that before. I heard that when Moses was standing in front of the burning bush. And so, and so when, when Jesus begins these statements with the words, Ego, Amy, he is subtly saying, I am the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. I, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm here with you in the flesh. Okay, at the beginning of each of these statements, he is subtly declaring the very truth of his identity as God. I'll probably point that out again and again as we work through these I am statements. That, that, that point can be made in each and every one, but I want you to know that. I want you to be aware of that. Well, what is the first I am saying? It's this, I am the bread of life. We see that in John 6, verse 35. And in this first I am saying of Jesus, there is contained at least four truths about our Savior. I use the word at least. That's safe for me as a pastor because, because there are other truths here as well. And, and then you can't jump me afterwards and say, Pastor, you missed this or you missed that. I might have, but there are at least four truths contained in this first I am saying of Jesus. And we're going to look at those truths in turn this morning. The first truth contained in this first I am statement of Jesus is this. Jesus is the one to whom Scripture always points. All right? Jesus is the one to whom Scripture always points. Let's set this statement in context. Our text begins with the words, on the next day. And so we probably should know what happened on the day before this. And what happened on the day before this is a very well-known event in Jesus' life. On the day before this one, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. That was near the end of the day. After he fed the people, darkness settled in, night came, and Jesus' disciples proceeded to sail away on the only boat available to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. As they sailed away in that only boat available, another uh, well-known event in Jesus' life took place. Jesus proceeded to walk on water to them in the midst of a storm, and he ended up getting in the boat and sailing with them to Capernaum on the other side of the sea. Well, the crowd, the 5,000 people whom he had fed, they don't know any of this. They went to sleep. And they wake up the next morning and Jesus isn't there. And they don't know where Jesus went. They're confused because they actually saw Jesus' disciples sail away in the only boat that had been available. And Jesus wasn't in it. And so, so the people, they, they wonder where Jesus went and, and uh, boats apparently come to pick all these people up. That's kind of what the text is saying. And they get in these boats and the people, they, they sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they find Jesus. And look what they ask Jesus. 
when did you get here? So honest, right? Of course, the real question was, how did you get here? That's what they probably should have asked. We know he walked across the sea. But the people, when did you get here? We didn't see you leave. Nevertheless, Jesus doesn't really deal with that question. Instead, Jesus takes a moment to expose these people's hearts. And in verses 26 and 27, he says to these people, you're not looking for me for the right reasons. You are hungry again. And you want me to give you more food. You want me to give you breakfast. But the reality is, I haven't come to give you physical food. I've come to give you spiritual food. I've come to give you not the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus then tells them in verse 29 that to receive this food, they must believe in the one whom God has sent. That is, they must believe in him. Well, the people, they are, they are happily ready to eat that, that food that Jesus gave them the day before. They're not ready to believe in him as their savior and their Lord. And we notice in verse 30 that the people are resistant and the people, they challenge Jesus. They want Jesus to prove that he is the Messiah. And so they ask him for a sign. Never mind, he's just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. That wasn't good enough. They want Jesus to give them a sign. Look what they say, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So essentially the people say, listen, Jesus, we're, we're thankful for what you did for us last night. But we were told in the book of Deuteronomy that the Messiah would be a greater prophet than Moses. And truth be told, what you did for us yesterday is nothing compared to what Moses did for our forefathers many years ago. I mean, let's be honest, Jesus, you fed 5,000 people for one night. Moses fed a whole nation for 40 years. Look how Jesus responds, beginning at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, so Jesus answers them by saying, listen, first off, it wasn't Moses who fed you in the wilderness. It was God. And not only that, but the manna which God gave to your ancestors in the wilderness for 40 years, it wasn't an end in itself. No, the manna was meant to point them and to point you to a greater bread, to the true bread that would come down from heaven and give life to the world. And the people answer in verse 34, okay, then give us this bread. And it's in response to that request that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the one to whom the manna pointed. 
Jesus here is saying that, that the manna that came down from heaven, it was simply a shadow and a type and a preview of what he would do in the incarnation. For in the incarnation, Jesus, like, like the manna, he would come down from heaven. Only he wouldn't come down to give physical life to the Israelites. He would come down to give spiritual life to the world. But, but, but he is the one to whom the manna pointed. The manna wasn't an end in itself. It was something that pointed to a greater spiritual reality. And Jesus is saying, I am that greater spiritual reality. I am the true bread, which the manna pointed you forward to. Boys and girls, there's a good lesson and a good reminder for us here. And that lesson and that reminder is this. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus and finds fulfillment in Jesus and tells us about Jesus. Even the manna in the wilderness is ultimately about Jesus. Fasten your minds on that already at a young age, boys and girls. When you read the Bible, you are ultimately reading about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first statement reminds us of this. The second truth contained in this first I am statement is this. Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am the one you must eat, I am the one you must swallow, I am the one you must ingest and digest if you want eternal life. And we know he's talking about eternal life. He he told us that already in verse 27. Now we understand that this is is a metaphor. Jesus doesn't really mean for us to, to eat him as we eat bread. No, we eat him, he makes clear, by believing in him. We eat him by by trusting in him. We eat him by giving our lives to him in faith. That's abundantly clear in the surrounding verses. Look at the last half of our own verse, verse 35. Jesus follows us up by saying, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. If your Bibles are open, you can go down to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. It's been said that that faith is the mouth of our souls. That That is accurate. It's by faith in Christ that we eat of the bread of life. It's by faith in Christ that we eat of of that which will will give us eternal life. I think there's another way to to look at this. Uh, Throughout the history of the world, bread, bread has been considered really the most basic dietary item. So basic that, that bread has almost become representative of that which is essential to life. And I think we see this even in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Uh, what's the fourth request of the Lord's Prayer? Jesus says, Ask our, you know, give us this day our, our daily bread. In that request, we're, we're, we're simply asking God to meet our basic physical needs. We're, we're asking God to give us today what is essential to life. Bread has become representative 
of that which is essential to life. And so when Jesus calls himself the bread of life, he's saying, saying, "You, you can't live without me. He's saying those who, those who try to live without me will die. Those who live without me will perish. Those who, who live without me, they, they won't have what is essential to eternal life. And we see exactly why down in verse 51. This was the one verse I wanted you to see. Down in verse 51, Jesus says this, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What happened to Jesus' flesh? Jesus' flesh was nailed to a cross for our sins. All right, it's it's Jesus' body broken on the cross for our sins that is food for our souls. It's Jesus' body broken on the cross for our sins that, that gives us eternal life. If you are living without Jesus then you are living apart from the one who paid for your sin. And if you're living apart from the one who paid for your sin, that means you must pay for your sin yourself. And and what does your sin cost? What are the wages of your sin? You know the answer, death, right? Spiritual, eternal death, hell. That is the wages of our sin. But if you trust in Jesus, If you feed on Jesus by faith, then your sins are paid for. Then you are covered in his perfect righteousness and you receive from him eternal life. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am the one you must eat. I am the one you must swallow. I am the one you must ingest and digest. If you should receive eternal life, rather than eternal death. The third truth contained in this first I am statement is that Jesus does for our souls what bread does for our stomachs. Jesus does for our souls what bread does for our stomachs. It is interesting when you think about it. You know, bread isn't just a food that that gives us kind of our basic nutrients. It's not just a food that that nourishes our bodies. Bread is also a food that fills our stomachs, isn't it? In fact, there may be nothing more filling than bread. Isn't that that the trick of restaurants? (laughs) To give you bread to make sure you don't leave hungry. Bread fills our stomachs. And that's at play in this I am statement as well. Jesus here isn't just saying that he'll feed our souls and nourish our souls. He's also saying that that he'll fill our souls. He'll satisfy our souls. And he says that plainly. Look again at what he says. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. By now we know Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms. That means the hunger and the thirst which he, which he promises to satisfy, they are not a hunger or a thirst of the body. They are the hunger and the thirst of the soul. That is what Jesus is promising to satisfy here. And there is a hunger and a thirst to our souls, isn't there? There is. People have testified to this 
for ages. St. Augustine testified to this. St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal testified to this. He wrote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing. The 20th century philosopher, John Paul Chartres, I think that's how you pronounce it, that one always throws me. Anyway, this is, this is what he once said. Listen closely to this. That God does not exist, I cannot deny. He's an atheist. He's testifying right there to his atheism. That God does not exist, I cannot deny but that my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. You know what he's saying right there? My whole being cries out for a God that I'm certain doesn't exist. I, I was, bring it down to my level now, right? Philosophers aren't on my level. I struggled in philosophy class, I'll be honest. Uh, Country music is more my level. There's a song that came out a number of years ago by, by Sugarland. The song was called, There's Gotta Be Something More. All right. And the song, I would say, very much expresses the longing in people's souls. They get up, they go to work, they punch in, they punch out, and on and on it goes. And as the song says, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. Jesus tells us right here that he is that something more. When he says, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me shall not hunger, he who believes in me shall not thirst, he's saying, I'm the one your soul craves. I, I'm the one your soul cries out for. It's me. When he says, I'm the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He's saying, he's saying I'm the one who fills the void. Let me ask, is your, is your soul hungry today for the forgiveness of your sins and for peace with God? You'll find it in Christ. Is your soul hungry today for, for meaning and for purpose in life? Is your soul hungry today for a reason to get out of bed and to punch in and to punch out this week? You'll find it in Christ. Is your soul hungry for hope? Do you long for hope? You'll find it in Christ. Is your soul hungry for security? Do you long to have some measure of security? You'll find it in Christ. You want to know what my soul's hungered for? Probably my whole life. I'm just able to finally step out of myself and, and assess myself a little bit, psychoanalyze myself. But, but my soul is always hungered for, for, for significance. My whole life I've wanted to, to be somebody who was known. I would say this made me a class clown in school. 
because I discovered that making people laugh and getting into a little bit of trouble was the best way I could find to make myself known at that point in my life. I'll happily confess that God used this ache in my soul to probably drive me into the ministry because what better way to be known than to stand in front of a couple hundred people each week and have them all look at you and, and talk to them, right? I was a little naive, but, but at the time, right, God uses those things. And I, I still feel that pull often. Sometimes I, I look at myself and I think, am I well known? Right? Do people know who I am? You know what I have found for that ache and that longing in my soul? Christ. It, it, it's occurred to me. And whenever I, I feel that longing, I, I, have to, I have to set before myself this truth. Dirk, for crying out loud, you're known by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're known by the one who shed his blood on the cross for your sins. What else do you need? Nothing. Christ is the one who satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. Christ is for the soul what bread is for the stomach. Christ fills it. My friends, I want you to understand, okay, these are not abstract realities. Even this reality of Jesus being the bread of life, this is a reality that is meant to be experienced in your soul even now. There is to be in your soul a satisfaction, a fullness that comes simply from knowing Christ. And when you feel that longing and you feel that ache, confess that to God. Acknowledge to God sometimes that you're, you're not looking for fullness and satisfaction where you ought to be looking and you need his forgiveness and you need him to help you. Feed on Christ and to be filled with Christ. But this, this reality, it's meant to be experienced in our lives. Jesus is the bread of life. That means we should be full, satisfied people. The fourth truth contained in this first I am statement is that Jesus is the Savior available to all. I love it that Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He doesn't call himself the manna of life. There's different Greek words here. He talks about manna, but he doesn't call himself the manna of life. If he did, we might think he was particularly the savior of the Jews. He doesn't call himself the pork of life. If he did, we might think he was particularly the savior of, of the Gentiles. He doesn't call himself the fine wine of life, as if he's especially concerned with the rich and the wealthy. Nor does he call himself the porridge of life, as if, as if he's especially available to those who are poor. He calls himself the, the bread of life. And there really is no food that transcends social and ethnic boundaries like bread. Go eat off the dollar menu at McDonald's, you're gonna get bread. Your burger's encased in it, if you weren't confused. 
Go eat Italian at Olive Garden, you're going to get bread. Go eat American seafood at Red Lobster, you're going to get bread. Go eat Mexican, you're going to get bread. They might call it a tortilla, but I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure that qualifies. All right? Anywhere you go, you're going to get bread. Nothing transcends social and ethnic boundaries like bread. J.C. Ryle says, bread is food that suits all. Some cannot eat meat, some cannot eat vegetables, but all like bread. It is food both for the queen and the pauper, and so it is with Christ. He is just the savior that meets the need of every class. Of course, this, this isn't just implied by Jesus when he calls himself the bread of life. It's, it's stated clearly by Jesus in his twofold use of the word whoever. Look what he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. With that twofold use of the word whoever, Jesus sets before each and every one of us this morning an open invitation to feed our souls with the bread of life. If you don't come to Jesus, if you don't receive the food he offers, the food that will endure to eternal life, know well, it is no one's fault today but your own. You cannot say, I wasn't invited. That won't work. That won't fly. Jesus here invites you when he says, whoever. All right, when he says, whoever, he means whoever. This is an open invitation to everyone who knows something of spiritual hunger. It's an open invitation to everyone who says there's got to be something more. It's an open invitation to everyone whose heart is restless and who is searching desperately for meaning and purpose to life. Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. I heard a great, a good story this week. It was, uh, it was a story about R.C. Sproul. Many of you know R.C. Sproul. I have many of R.C.'s books in my, in my office. Um, I've listened to many of his sermons. He's been a wonderful blessing to me. Uh, he probably had one of the greatest spiritual minds in recent years. He died in the year 2017, and the story concerned what was written on R.C.'s gravestone. Now, what could have been written on R.C.'s gravestone? A number of things could have been written on R.C.'s gravestone. They could have wrote on his gravestone that he was an intellectual giant of the 20th century. They could have wrote on his gravestone that he was responsible for the resurgence of Calvinism in our day. They could have wrote on his gravestone that he was a great theologian, a great philosopher, a great writer, a great preacher. They could have wrote any number of things on his gravestone. This is what they wrote on R.C.'s gravestone. He was a kind man, redeemed by a kinder Savior. I was reminded of that as I see this open invitation made by Jesus here in John 6, 35. There is a kindness to this invitation. Jesus says, whoever. That means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter if you're loaded with tattoos. 
if you've had kids out of wedlock or if you're divorced. Doesn't matter if you drank too much last night. It doesn't matter if this is your first time in church or if you've sat in church pews on a thousand Sundays. Doesn't matter if your skin is black or white or some shade in between. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, if you're male or if you're female. It doesn't matter if you're happy or if you're sad. It doesn't matter if your life is going exactly how you planned or if it's absolutely spinning out of control. It doesn't matter if you're healthy or if you're on hospice. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor or even if you were rich, but you gambled all your money away and now you're poor. Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And when Jesus says whoever, Jesus means whoever. This is an open invitation set before you this morning by an incredibly kind Savior who because of his death on the cross for your sins, promises to meet the deepest longings of your soul and give you eternal life. You can reject so kind an invitation, but you cannot say you didn't receive it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scripture, as the one who gives eternal life to hell-deserving sinners, as the one who fills the deepest longings of our soul, and as the one who makes himself available to all people. Help us to respond in faith again this morning to your invitation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.